presence of God in our midst. And part of what I have to share today really has just been something that's been stirring in me for a little while now. So I hope hope it will serve you as much as it has touched issues in my pursuit of God. It's informed my pursuit of God and how I pursue God. So I hope that it will do the same for you. I titled the, the message, Awakening Internal Realities. Awakening Internal Realities. And I think that's a, a great description of what happens when the presence of God becomes manifest amongst the people of God. What makes the difference? What's the difference between the day that we live in where the omnipresence of God is available to everyone at kind of a, a certain level of encounter and that point in time in which God decides to intrude into our lives and make His presence more known and real and effective in our lives? Well, I, I think what happens in that moment is an awakening of internal realities. Now, I think there can be other things that happen as well. There can be the miraculous that happens. Bodies can be physically healed. Uh, miraculous externals can, occur, can occur. But I think what, what happens when God's presence becomes real to each one of us, individually or corporately, is there is an awakening of something on the inside of us that God launches in and, and touches. And I, I like that term, awakening, because there's a reality that's, that we can kind of fall asleep in spiritual things, can't we? And I know I can. I know there are seasons in my life where I'm, I'm not always on the top of my game. I'm, I'm slow. I'm, 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 not, I'm not alert in things. And the Bible takes that into account, where it's, it's having to tell us to be sober-minded. Those realities are, are present for all of us. But I like the term awakening. Awakening has been associated in past history with, with revival times, the great awakenings. There was two great awakenings where the people of God went from Christianity that was nominal to some fire going off in their lives that they begin to experience God in different ways and they begin to manifest the kingdom in their time in a different way. It was an awakening. Listen to this thought from J.I. Packer. It was in your outline last week. He says, Revival is God manifesting Himself to His people. The Word is one of a group. Spiritual. Renewal. Revival. Awakening. Visitation, reformation. Richard Lovelace said, Renewal, revival, and awakening trace back to biblical metaphors for the infusion of spiritual life in Christian experience by the Holy Spirit. I I like that infusion word. I like the image of God intruding. Because I think that's what God does biblically. And God looks at human history and He finds moments for, for reasons that I don't think we fully understand. What seems to be more easily discernible is what quenches the Spirit of God rather than what causes the mercy of God to show up in certain times. We can be a little bit more clear about the fact that if if I'm sinful, selfish, uninterested, um, provoked by the world rather than provoked by God, that's not an environment that's charged with electricity for the move of the Spirit of God. But there are moments where God chooses to step into human history. Individually, it can happen for anybody in this room. No matter where you are in your life, no matter what events are going on in your life, no matter how much fear or doubt or intimidation or need that there is, do you believe in a God who can tomorrow, today, step into that situation and mess with the course of history and say, well, no longer proceed this way, now it's going this way? Because He determines to do it. Well, that's a God who interferes. I like the way Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book on revival, said... The basis of everything is the sovereign, transcendent, living God who in His eternal glorious freedom, listen, acts, intervenes, and interferes with the life of the whole church and of individuals. I like that. He acts, He intervenes, and He interferes with the life of the whole church and of individuals. If there is anything that is more obvious than anything else in the life of the church today, it is the failure to start with and to believe that truth. See, if I'm here this morning and my my joy is diminished, that can only be possible 
if my thoughts about God have been altered. If I'm here wrestling and, and not quite looking forward to the tomorrow that's in front of me, if that's a problem for me, that can only be possible because of a diminished view of who God is. And I've, I've divorced God from the reality that He can intrude at any moment, sovereignly act on my behalf, and accomplish His will fully in my life. He can do it. And the only reason I could possibly be concerned about tomorrow is that I'm not believing that. Now you take that and import it into the issues that you're struggling with in your own life today. Whether it's, whether it's a weight issue, whether it's a financial issue, whether it's a relationship issue, if you're feeling the weight of that thing and you feel like tomorrow doesn't have hope in it, it's only because you stop believing in a God who intrudes and who performs His will when He does. This is an important factor. This changes the way the church operates. It changes what we believe. That's why I agree with Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is a starting point, and it's one we can't skip as the church. God is an intruding God. Do you believe that? Do you believe as you visit human history that God shows up intentionally and He changes and He alters and He shakes things? His presence becomes manifest. Remember we said last week, don't, don't put the presence of God into a straw. See, the presence of God means those miraculous things. The presence of God means this morning we'll lay hands on the sick, the sick will recover. It does mean that. That's not all it means. The presence of God, when we find it in Scripture, it means, it means the Spirit of God awakening something on the inside of me. Many things can be awakened on me, not just physical health. Not just a miracle of an event or circumstances. Something can be awakened inside of me. An awakening where God comes and He nudges me on the inside. An awakening of motivation in my heart. An awakening of inspiration in my life. An awakening of revelation of Him. God can come in a moment and can turn the lights on. And all of a sudden I see something about the greatness of God that informs me and, and I immediately realize, oh, the day is saved. This circumstance is okay. God is in this. What was that? It was a moment when God intruded in my awareness and informed me more accurately about who He is. That's an awakening. God can come give me motivation. I could, I could be walking spiritually just lethargic uninterested, I'm not stepping out in faith, I'm not, I'm not running hard after God. God can come intrude into that moment and can bring an awakening of motivation to where I find myself wanting to do things that I didn't want to do before. That's what God does when He intrudes. And we need to be seeking God to do that. We have a need for being awakened. I'm... I know no matter where you are in your life, there's, there's, there's more awakening. There's more of the presence of God and its effect that can be in my life. And there are seasons where I've desperately needed it. And there's just seasons where I'd like to have it. And I'm not sure where you are this morning. One of those places, I imagine. I want to highlight in your outline, I put the biblical components of external and internal promptings. I want to, I want to address that biblically this morning because I think... I think there's an issue here that's causing us to miss the presence of God in some ways. And we said last week, one of the things that's influencing the presence of God in our midst is the idea of deism. The idea of a God who did create things and He is the Creator. He spun creation into existence and then He stepped away from it. And now, natural course, human reasoning, the emphasis being on man managing his world, that's, that's the deist world. That's not the theist world, that's not the biblical world. But it does influence our thought of, does God intrude? Will God show up? Could God be in this meeting this morning in an amazing way? Are you afraid of something? Are you concerned? Could God meet you today before you leave this building and you could be a different person in an instant? Do you believe that? Saul, go to this place and you're going to meet a band of prophets who are going to be coming down and they're going to be accompanied by musical, musical instruments and, and they're going to be prophesying. And when you meet them, the Spirit is going to fall on you, Saul, and you're going to become a different man. Do you think that could happen to you today? Well, theoretically, I guess anything's possible. I mean, this whole building could fly into outer space. It's possible. I mean, how do we believe this stuff? 
Do we hold it like it's a reality that I'm on the edge of my seat, that at any moment this really could happen? Or just, well, sure, I mean, Keith, yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff is possible. I mean, I read the Bible. I mean, anything could happen. I mean, God could part the building in half. You part of the Red Sea. But you don't really believe that's going to happen. Nobody wore a hard hat today. I mean, girders could come down at any moment. I mean, you don't, you don't really think that's going to happen. So you can believe something and really not believe it all at the same time, right? That's a lot about Christianity. Unfortunately, that is that way. And, and deism informs us, makes us have a God who's too distant. It's not a biblical God. But today, I think we have another issue that, that confronts our experiencing the presence of God. And it is the emphasis on externals. The amount of emphasis that is being placed on externals. Now, now don't get me wrong. Again, I hope I do this on a regular basis. Remember, I always say this. There's tensions in the Bible. There are points that seem to not get along with each other, but there's a core that ties them both together. And when you allow the Bible to be the Bible, you end up with a string that's pulled real tight that if you pluck it, you're going to get music out of it. Now, what people tend to do is they want to cut the cord and get one truth or the other. I just want this one. I just want the sovereignty of God. That's all I want. Well, you don't want any responsibility for man? No, I don't want that. It doesn't make sense to me if I put them both on the same page. Well, the Bible puts them both on the same page. You don't have the right to, to separate them. There are external elements of the Christian life. There are internal elements of the Christian life. They are both important. So as I emphasize internal elements today, I am not trying to stomp on the external ones. I could, I could go on all morning this morning. We could sit and talk about how many times the Bible and, and people are called to speak to us from the outside. Something from the outside of me comes and it instructs me. It convicts me. It confronts me in my life. Abstain from fleshly lusts that wage war against the soul. That's a command. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you feel like there's anything going on on the inside, you're commanded. Abstain from that. Husbands, love your wives. That's a command. That's an external thing. You may not feel loving towards your wife. You may have reasons why you're, why you're not loving toward her. The Bible comes from the outside. Could be through a preacher. Could be through you reading it. From the outside it says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, honor your parents. Those are commands. Pray without ceasing, church. Whether you feel it, whether there's anything on the inside, the command from the outside tells you to pray. Don't forsake assembling together. See, these are all commands, aren't they? They're external prompters in our lives. And they're supposed to be there. We need them. They're good. We need to read the Bible. And the Bible will externally prompt us. It will bring thoughts to us. We need to be around other believers to let their lives prompt us, the way in which they live. We need relationships that are real, not hiding from each other. Where somebody can come and tell me, you know, Keith, I've just noticed that... uh, I mean, I haven't seen you lately. You know, you just, just haven't been in covenant group for, for weeks, man. What's, what's going on? And just, you know, the whole tone of concern is sending you a message, isn't it? It's somebody who's poking on you, giving you the message that, oh, they think I'm not doing the right thing. They think I'm not doing... And that can be real irritating, can it? Somebody poking on you that way. Even if they're just real nice and loving and caring. The mere fact that they notice you're not there and they bring it to your attention is an external prompt. To get you to think. To get you to respond. To get you to contemplate something in your life. Now, is that a bad thing? Not at all. Is it a biblical thing? Yes, it is. Should we be doing it? Yes, we should. However, Christianity is not merely external prompts. But it can be for many of us. And I am greatly concerned about that. The Bible actually warns us, and it tells us, the externals should not stand alone. When you read through the Bible, and we're going to do this today, you're going to see there's an internal work of the Spirit. That externals are a part of our lives as well, but there's an internal prompting, there's an awakening, there's a dynamic on the inside of me that causes my life to be a certain way. You know, I'm almost see the Christianity operating almost like a soaker hose. If you're into gardening at all, you know what a soaker hose is. If you're not, then you don't. Um, <laughs> soaker hose is one of those hoses that the, the black ones are kind of cool. They're, they're foamy looking and you, you stretch them through your garden. 
you run them around the basic plants, and, and when you turn it on, the, the pressure builds up in the hose. And eventually, when the pressure gets great enough, the water just shoots out of the hose everywhere. It just kind of always is shooting out all along the hose. It's, this water is coming out of this thing. Now, you know, you could, you could do a couple things. You could put that black hose through your garden, and you could come back every day with a bucket of water and just pour across the top of that black hose everywhere that the black hose is because you're trying to water the plants there. You could do that. Or you could walk back over to the faucet and turn the faucet on, and when the pressure builds up great enough inside that hose, that hose will shoot water out all over the place. I think that's a better picture of Christianity. I think sometimes what we're trying to fix, we're trying to fix only through external means. Rather than realizing, uh, I, I have a pressure problem on the inside of me. I don't have a pressure buildup going on. I don't have this gradient of increasing intensity and affection and passion for God that is on the inside of me that is going to come out of me at any moment. I've got this low pressure thing happening inside of me and I need people to nudge me, prompt me, stick me up, tell me to show up, insult me, whatever it is that, that motivates me. There are a few people that will do that. There's some people that have the gift of insulting. When you... Don't live the Christian life correctly. But Christianity warns us about not letting our religion become only external. Look at, look at Colossians 2, verse 20 in your outline. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. Don't go there. Don't look at that. Right? Are, are those things wrong? in and of themselves, before we kind of get too far in this thought. I mean, doesn't the Bible, same Bible that says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, do not say, abstain from fleshly passions? It tells us to do that, right? So it's, but there's a problem here. These things are referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Listen, they are of no value to stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, why is that? Because, this is deeply philosophical, but worthy to be tucked away, to be used on yourself and on others. You ready for this? People do what they want to do. Well, I couldn't make it. People do what they want to do. You didn't make it because you wanted to do something else. See, the reason why you can't fight the indulgence of the flesh is because the flesh has desires. And if you don't fight desire with desire, you don't have a chance. Because the flesh is armed with desire. It wants to do something. It's not obligated to do it. It's not being prompted. It doesn't have a sense of responsibility. The flesh doesn't wake up in the morning and go, oh, I don't really feel like sinning today. I mean, I'm tired. You know, what is it? Isn't it Saturday? I mean, can I sleep in today? Isn't it just a day off for the flesh? No, the flesh is always top of the game, full of desire, out of the box. Woohoo! New day! Yes! What's up today? Oh, I've got so many ideas. I just don't have enough time. That's the flesh. Now, if you don't have another component in you that jumps up and goes, Woohoo! What do we have today? All you got is, I can't do this. Don't go there. Don't taste that. Don't touch that. Somebody might ask. The Bible says I shouldn't. But there's no want to in you. There's no passion. There's no desire that's greater than that desire. You will lose every day. I don't know why Christians can't overcome sin. Because they don't want to. My flesh wants to sin all the time. So if there's not a want to in me to do something else, I have another want to that's available. And remember, 
People do what they want to do. So if you don't have something on the inside, you don't have an internal component in you that is awakened by the Spirit of God, the rules, the customs, the traditions of religious life will never help you overcome the indulgence of the flesh. They're too weak. Isaiah 29, verse 13. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Right? This is a, a declaration. It is, it, is an, it is an external thing. It is a description somebody else gave. It is a concept that exists. It is not the intrusion of a spirit awakening of the fear of God. You understand the difference. All of us have the terminology of the fear of God. We don't necessarily have the fear of God, though, in our lives. Some have encountered God in a way that there's the fear of God. Some have simply read about it and been told about it. And they both have the same set of vocabulary. But it is not affecting them the same way. Ray Ortland spoke of this passage. He says of the Israelites, they were saying all the right things, doing all the right things. They feared God. But their fear of Him was only, listen, a doctrine taught by human instruction. It was just an idea, a concept in their minds, a catechetical answer, not a spirit-imparted awareness transforming their hearts. See, listen, can, I, can I push the expectation level beyond us? Just because we have doctrinal words doesn't mean we really have revelation about those doctrinal words. For, for too much of Christianity, there's, there's great vocabulary with poor experience. There's, there's instruction without encounter. Well, we've heard that, and we've heard that, and we've heard that, and, we, and it's being said to us like we ought to understand it, so now we're starting to act like we understand it. Yeah, you know, the doctrine of redemption. Yeah, glory to God. Um, okay, that's a great word. Have, have you, is it, is it a spirit-given revelation from the inside? You have been purchased back from the right claims that sin laid on your life that would have dictated for you an eternity of the wrath of God opposing you forever. See, all those words, every, every string of those words just now are ripe with meaning. Do you have any idea what, it, what the wrath of God is? Do you have any idea to be on the receiving end of God's opposition? Do you have any idea what forever means? See, when we encounter that truth, all those things take on animation and reality. And all of a sudden, I'm realizing when I sing a song about redemption, there's, there's not just instruction here. There's encounter. There's revelation. Where did that come from? The awakening of the presence of God in my life, on the inside of me, informed me. I'm not just handling words here. We sing songs of, of forgiveness without ever shedding a tear. You understand our words don't affect us because we fail to encounter the presence of God in all our, our, our ideas, lots of concepts, doctrinal labels for things. Listen, uh, this, is, this is a phenomena that I've watched happen over the last several years. Um, give you a little bit of a historical setting for me. When I was, I was saved when I was 14 years old, just before I turned 15 years old. Didn't know what it was to be involved with the church. Didn't know what it was to be around believers until I was, uh, I guess, 19, 18 or 19 years old. I knew some believers, but didn't know what it was to be around a church, to see Christianity modeled and lived. To see people's lives being changed and them grappling with truth. Uh, my first exposure to a large set of believers was at a campus ministry at LSU. Um, got around many believers. In that setting, that was the setting that was ripe for God to show me the pride that was in my heart. I found myself wanting to, to be 
uh, the most spiritual guy around. I wanted to compete with everybody else's spirituality. And campus ministries are ripe for stuff like that. And it revealed pride in my own heart. It was so obnoxious and disgusting and such a revelation from God. It was like it was a stink I couldn't get off me. I mean, I saw it everywhere. I saw my attitude here and here and here. Actually, I didn't see it everywhere because over the next few years, God would show it to me everywhere. <laughs> but I saw enough of it at that point to know that I can't get this off of me. You know, washed. Oh, I, you know, God, how do I deal with this? It's, it's all over me. So I came across this book in a bookstore by a guy named Andrew Murray. I'd never heard of a guy named Andrew Murray, but this is an old book. and He was an old guy. He wrote a book called Humility. You know, I wasn't a rocket scientist. I thought, okay, I have a pride problem. This is a book on humility. This looks like it would be helpful. <laughs> so I started reading this book on humility. And, and for the next several years in my life, God gave me encounters with him that informed me of my pride to the point where it wasn't... And back then, I want to say it this way, back then, confessing pride wasn't in vogue. Understand what I'm saying? Those of you who've been around Christianity for a little while, especially if you've been in this church for a little while. Um, today, it's kind of in vogue to confess your pride. We've been taught a lot on it, and rightly so, because it is pride is the feature issue that God is really not liking. And so it's right for us to receive good teaching on pride, and we've received much good teaching on pride. We've received much good teaching on humility. Well, well, back then. Uh, it wasn't a vogue word, and there wasn't a lot of opportunity for you to wear it. You couldn't wear humility. You couldn't put on your humility shirt and say, hey, look, I got one, too. You like that teaching? Too? Me, too. You know, there, there wasn't a lot of people running around going, humility, humility, humility. So if you were going to be humble, it was going to be because you were humble, not because you were using a word. And as the Lord began to show me more of him, and I had more of an encounter with him, the, the disgusting of my sin made it distasteful obnoxious it was foul I hated it it, it it wasn't something I even wanted to talk about anything in me that would try to crawl to a place of prominence to be seen as glorious in light of who I was learning God to be was disgusting what was causing that? For me, I believe it was encountering God. It was seeing true greatness in God and the fact that I would have any inkling that I could crawl up into the category of greatness in the eyes of men. That was disgusting. But see, this can just be a word concept. And, and I've seen that as, as this word is out in front of us more now, taught on it more now. Lots of people read about humility Books being published now. Back then, Andrew Murray's book was the only book I'd ever heard of at that point on humility. Now there's several. It's indeed a category. But this can become a concept to where now there's no encounter, there's no awakening, there's no revelation of the greatness of God that humbles me. There's just people trying to act humble. Do you understand the difference? One is an encounter that produces humility. The other is a, an external word that tells me how to behave. That doesn't make me humble. It makes me a person who puts on the appearance of humility. And, and be sure, your pride will stick out. You know, you're advertising your humility in a prideful way. I mean, it'll, it will float out of there and make itself known. It's a nasty little critter. But we have many things in our life that that they're more concepts than they are encounters. They, they haven't left their brand mark on us. They haven't been awakened as a revelation that the Spirit gives to us. If you've walked for many years with Christ, you can remember those seasons where God awakened the truth in your life and all of a sudden you saw it everywhere in the Bible. You know, one of those things. Like, oh my goodness, this is on every page. Every, every page in the Bible is about pride. I had no idea. And that's what I started seeing. It was God awakening a revelation in our lives. See, we need an encounter on the inside. We don't just need words and concepts. We need an encounter on the inside. Now listen to this thought that Ray Ortland adds here in your outline there. Speaking of the folks in Isaiah, he says, Beneath 
the beautiful observance they were using the worship of God as a mechanism for avoiding God, for controlling God, for setting limits on God. When form replaces freshness, when rote replaces reality, worship treats God as less than the living God. He is offended. That's a strange idea here. Beneath the beautiful observance... Remember in Isaiah, they're still coming to bring offerings. They're still going through the motions. There's still the traditions of religion. There's still externals in place. But in their hearts, God is far from them. They are far from devoted to God. They are far from passionate about Him. They are far from being consumed with Him. They're simply going through some beautiful observation. I thought as I read that, oh, Lord, how sad that that can be true of Christianity today. That, that we as church people can go through some beautiful observations while using those beautiful observations to hide from God, to limit His access in our lives, to avoid Him. That we can, there are people who will show up for church, and the sense in them is by attending, they are giving to God what is required of them. They will put some money in the offering. They will listen to a special opportunity. You know, there's a project to help the homeless, or there's orphans, or there's a building. You know, and, and they, they will write a check. And so there is, there is observation taking place. That songs are being sung, and there is some singing going on. I'm singing. I'm here. And I'm, I'm singing. I attend pretty regularly. You understand, you can do all that and avoid God. Avoid giving God total dominant access to your heart. Avoid living life on the edge. Oh, sure, I, uh, yeah, I'll write a check for that. How about giving it all? How about take every dime you got in your account and sign it over right now? Oh, 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 oh listen, I give on a regular basis. And, uh, how many times there's an appeal for some service project, some activity, and we... We kind of feel released from. We avoid God in that because, well, I'm in church every week. I mean, what are you talking about? I'm there. I'm there every time the door is open. Listen, that can be a safeguard mechanism for trying to, to protect me from the radicalness of God. God can not only say, I don't just want you to attend. I want you to sell everything and give it to the poor. Oh, I don't know. I'd rather just blend into the scenery. I'd rather just be here and do a little bit and play it safe. I don't want to get crazy here. The second you know that there are, there are strings attached to your heart, you have a problem in the Christian life. The second you know there are places I won't go, there are things I won't do, you have a problem with the presence of God. See, God looks for the contrite. He looks for the broken. He looks for the willing. He looks for the one that says, God, whatever you got, I'm after it. I want it. Okay, Keith, it'll cost you your life. Well, here I am. See, I'd rather just kind of blend in with the crowd. I'd rather, I'd rather be in attendance and do something radical and crazy that God might want me to do. So you can hide from God. I want to play it safe. And the problem with all that is it's a lack of internals. It's a lack of passion. It's a lack of zeal in the heart. And it's an observation on the outside. Matthew 25, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate. That the outside also may be clean. I think here's the, here's the priority for Christianity. First, the inside. Then, the outside. Not one to the neglect of the other. Not inside only, no outside. But absolutely not outside only, no inside. First, the inside. First, the work of the Spirit. First, the dominance in the heart of God, then the expression of that in our lives. I think that's the order that God's after. The priority for Christianity is the fire in the heart. Fire in the heart. Fire in the heart. Do you understand? We can stand up this morning and preach a message on do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. A lot of messages just simply boil down to that, don't they? Don't go to that movie. Don't dress that way. Don't use your time that way. Don't spend your money that way. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. But you know, if there's no fire in the heart, there's a problem with those messages. There's a problem with them being received and a problem with them being given. 
Christianity, its priority is to have fire in the heart. And the danger of Christianity is to have everything but the fire. Y'all seen the fake fireplaces that are available to you now? Seen these? I mean, you know how I feel about fire. Fake fireplaces are an offense. Um, I'm in Lowe's the other day. I'm watching. I'm looking at this. I mean, it's got a mantelpiece. It's, it's got some orange glow going on in there. They've got something that rolls around in there. It makes the, makes the light look like it's fire. It bends. It's orange. They even have them now that they crackle. They got everything but fire. <laughs> it's a fireplace. You know, change the name. If it's a fireplace, it's supposed to have fire in it. Not light, not even heat. Fire in a fireplace. It's not a heat place. It's not a light place. It's a fireplace. Right, and this, this is a fireplace. This is a place for the presence of God. Remember, we started this whole series analyzing. God has created a church for the dwelling of His presence. What He's not after is all the externals being right while the heart doesn't have any fire in it. That's not what God's after. I fear that Christianity is becoming way too much dependent on external promptings. External promptings that that nudge us to do what we do, when we do, how we do. Not an overflow of the heart, but a nudge from the outside. Whether it's church meetings... You know, for, for some Christians, the only time that there will be a serious encounter with the truth of God will be in a meeting like this, that they attend once a week. And if the message stinks, if today we decided to just read a business report, the opportunity to encounter God for many in the body of Christ today would have been missed because there's no fire in them that says, give me this word, give me God, whether I have a meeting or don't have a meeting, I appreciate the external prompts, but there's something in me that says, I want God. I'm going after Him. There are some folks that if we didn't prompt and we didn't have this meeting, there are some people in the body of Christ that would have nothing to prompt them. That's dangerous. It's horrible. For some folks, what we did here with music, for some may be the only exchange of praise and celebration and contemplation of the greatness of God that will occur in the week. Now, thank God for biblical external prompts. Thank God for Matt. Thank God for the leadership gifting that he has. It's not wrong for him to say, shout to God, and for us to shout to God. What would be more appropriate is, whether he said it or not, in me is a shout to God. It wouldn't just be that, you know, Matt, and he does this, and he should do this. It's part of teaching. It's part of biblical uh, help in the Bible and in churches. For him to explain why we sing. Every once in a while he'll do that. We have classes where he'll do that. And explain to us why we sing. And, you know, in and, and some of that, it's like, it's like somebody walking up behind you and taking that thing on your back and winding you up and saying, Okay, Keith, now, sing, sing. Okay, song, and then, you know, I sing for about two more weeks, and then somebody else got to come along and say, okay, it's appropriate for us to sing when we're together. Okay, sing, sing. Oh, how about shout? Ooh, I don't shout. Don't do that. Well, you know, it's been, and Peter models it for us, and we have all kinds of examples of shouting what that looks like. And so, external prompt, external prompt, come on, shout. Woohoo! Okay, I shouted. I'm, I, I'm the, you know. What's missing is, you know, where there's fire in the heart. See, you can shout because somebody on the outside said, shout, 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 dance, dance. Oh, I don't, definitely don't do that. Come on, come on. Or you can encounter God and He can fill your heart with such joy that I've been saved and that word redemption means something to me. It's a real encounter with the truth of who God is. Woo! Man, I'm singing and happy. It's not just somebody having to tell me, you know, it would be right for you right now to clap. I'm thinking when Moses is standing before the presence of God at the burning bush, there was not some angel just, you know, real stiff and say, at this point it would be good for you to bow. (laughs) It would now be appropriate for you to try to get under the dirt. You know, 
that wasn't happening. Moses encountered the presence of God. And what did he do? He looked for the lowest point he could get. It was a response to God. When Christianity becomes a response only to externals, it's going to turn into legalism. You're going to hate the fact that somebody in here is always bugging you to do something. You know what? If this fire in my heart, and, and Matt turns around and says, shout, I already got a shout in me. You just press play for me. That's all you did. Woo! Not a problem. But if there's nothing in me, my heart is cold, unaffected, unmoved, empty, and he says shout, and he keeps saying it, and I don't want to shout, and he keeps saying shout, I'm going to call him a legalist. And the problem really isn't with him. The problem is, I've turned Christianity into do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, do this, go there, do that next. You know, when you... when. Matt would freak us all out if he walked in and say, listen, uh, guys, you know, I'm not going to play anything today. Let's just, let's just all worship God. Just, you know, I'm going to sit down with y'all. Let's just all begin to work. I think some of us go, what? <laughs> no songs? No script? I don't know what to say. Here, sit down and write a love letter to God. Well, I don't have anything in my heart. I mean, <laughs> that's Christianity. A heart overwhelmed with God. A heart that's experienced God. Put a paper in front of you. You ought to be able to write something. And therefore, you ought to be able to sing something. Even if you can't sing, you ought to be able to make some noise that sounds like singing. See, what a danger that we've, we've turned Christianity into external prompts. External prompts. You know, giving. Is giving a difficulty for you? Is that whole thing I just did a few minutes ago or just a real irritant? Or is your heart burning with fire to give for the kingdom of God to be advanced? Because if that is in my heart, then you know what? I didn't even need that talk just now. I didn't need it because the opportunity is already there for me to give. And I've been giving. I've been doing it. Matter of fact, if there's a crack, I'm like a rat. I'm going to crawl through that thing because it's in me. I do what I want to do. And if I'm not giving, it's because I don't want to give. And what does that say about the glory of God? Oh, the glory of God. That's a good term. Oh, all for your glory, God, all for your glory. What on earth does that mean? I tell you what, encounter the character and the person of God, and you'll have a definition for the glory of God, and you'll have a reason to live life differently on the inside. A burning passion from the inside. Let me walk through these internal elements of the Christian life. Look at this contrast that I think would be a good contrast between what we have created as cultural religion today versus true Christianity. Jeremiah 31. Verse 33, it says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now listen, let's read the whole Bible here. This, is not, this doesn't mean that none of us should share with each other. None of us should encourage one another. Don't encourage somebody to know the Lord. That, that's not what this means. Oh, we don't need teachers anymore. We don't need pastors. Well, I find all throughout the Bible that God gives us teachers. He gives us pastors. So that's not the, how you apply this verse. But it is a screaming indictment about things becoming merely external in my life. Because there ought to be something on the inside of me that knows the Lord. And you say and know the Lord is not the thing that's accomplishing it. It is the inside work that bears witness with you telling me know the Lord. It is God going inside in our lives. Skip over to where it says scriptural portrait of the inner life of the Christian. Just walk through these verses real quickly here. I'm not going to spend much time in any one of them. I want to hit three things. The locus of emphasis in Scripture about the Christian life. The effect emphasized and the person emphasized. First, the locus. Where, where is the action in the Christian life? Jeremiah 31. It's within me. It's in our hearts. That's the locus. John 7:38. listen to this. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. See, this, this is the flow of healthy Christian living. 
It's not what can you what can you externally get to me. It is out of the heart flows rivers of living water. I love the picture there. It's a river. It's a powerful expression of God in me. That's the flow out of my life. It's an awakening on the inside that will emerge on the outside in some form. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who works in you, in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Hebrews 13.20 Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. How do you and I live a life that's pleasing in the sight of God? By God working it in us. When the pressure gets turned on, that hose is going to shoot the righteousness of God out of our lives. Not by just trying to impose it from the outside on us all the time. What's the effect emphasized? Well, we just saw that one effect in Philippians 2. It's God who's at work in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Where does, where does our willingness come from? It comes from the inside by the infusion of God, by the Spirit of God working in us. Well, you know, that's usually the place where most of us have to start. When we're honest with God, we're sometimes in trouble because we're not willing to do something differently. We're not willing to consider that. Not only are we not doing it, we're not even willing to consider it. Remember early in my Christian life having somebody say, well, then you need to just pray, God, make me willing to be willing. I mean, I know that sounds kind of circular and crazy. But the reality is, I can't work willingness. God must work willingness in me. And the promise is, as God comes and intrudes and invades my life, He's the one who works and awakens willingness. You have a lack of willingness in your life to serve, to lay down your life, to sacrifice, to pray, to use time differently. Listen, you know what I'm needing if that's my case? I need an awakening. God, you need to awaken in me. Your Spirit needs to come and the presence of your Spirit needs to affect my life again so that I find willingness welling up in my heart to accomplish what you've called me to do. Listen to this stuff from Jeremiah. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Now this, this is the work of the Spirit. This is, this is God hooked Jeremiah up to the spigot. So, Jeremiah, you're my prophet, pal. <laughs> Come here. You know, he's... Hose is getting bigger. He's like, God, every time I speak, people oppose me. They want to kill me. My life is getting hard. I just like to be quiet. I mean, just out of him. It's, I can't contain it. It's like a fire in my bones. Oh, that Christianity would be a fire in my bones. Oh, that all that God has called me to do would be in me that way. That I, I can't escape the giving of it away. It's not just an obligation, Keith. Make sure you're, you're responsible as a father and that you do these things that you're expected to do as a father. You're a good provider. You know, like an obligation. Somebody pour water on me. Make me do this. Or is it that God is in me like a burning fire shut up in my bones? And I want to do this. And my I don't want to has been conquered by God. I cannot contain it. I can't. Contain it. Listen, God will do some radical, crazy stuff with you. He will do things that, that just that just doesn't fit your personality profile. Um, and if you had known me growing up, I, this this is not the same person. I'm, I'm screaming at people in front of uh, hundreds of eyeballs. You, you couldn't have put a gun to my head to make me do that. But now I cannot but do it. I have got to share what God has put in my heart. I've got to do it. You know what I'm saying? Audiences were terrifying to me. You, you just, no way. Just me and one other person. That'd be fine. One other person, that's, that's okay. I'll tell them something. But stand and have everybody looking just like you're looking. What are you going to say next? You're going to forget what to say next? You're going to forget all your notes, aren't you? At any moment now. That was terrifying. There's no way. Until God hooks you up to his hose. And he turns on the spigot. 
And next thing you know, you find inside of you, you can't stop it. You'd like to sometimes. But there's something that's welling up. You know, the PSI of your Christianity is going to shoot something out of your life. Oh, what a difference that Christianity is versus the one that's just external. It's telling you what to do next. Somebody prompting you. Somebody writing your script for you. Somebody telling you what meeting to show up, clap four times till that song's over. You know, that's, that's a problem on the inside. And Christianity sorely is lacking as a result. When you look through these verses, when the, God awakens, He brings motivation in these verses. He brings ability. He brings compelling. I'm having a hard time wanting to do something. God can bring compelling into my heart to where I feel compelled by awakening that's taking place on the inside of me. You say this last and Madam, go ahead and ask you to come up. The person emphasized. In all these passages, the, the most active player here is God. God is the one featured. God is the one doing. God is the one who's at work in me to will and to do. I'm at work, but God is at work. And the emphasis is on God. The awakening emphasis is on God. God reviving His people. The emphasis is on God's doing. More than it's on our doing. Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, A revival, by definition, is the mighty act of God. And it is a sovereign act of God. It's God choosing to do that. Brian Edwards says, Revival is remarkable, large, effective, and above all, it is something that God brings about. It is quite impossible for man to create revival. Though men may prepare and pray for it, revival is the work of the sovereign God, not primarily for the benefit of His people, but for His own honor and glory. When, when you look through these verses, you find the appeal for the people of God that, that need an awakening. The appeal needs to be for God to awaken us. God, awaken our souls. God, Turn up the pressure of the Spirit in my life. God, light the fire that it's in my bones that I want to do for your kingdom. Even if I'm not being required to do it, even if I'm not being externally prompted in a particular moment, there's a want to that's in me. God, you must do that, though. Close with us looking at Isaiah 63. Remember this prayer that Isaiah prayed we looked at a couple of weeks ago? Where Isaiah cries out, Oh, that you would just rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might shake at your presence. You would set us afire like fire kindles brushwood. Listen to how he starts in the context back in Isaiah 63, verse 15. He says, Look down from heaven... And see. Now remember, Isaiah wants this, but he realizes the doing of it is in the hands of God. You get this? This is going to sound, this is going to be one of those things. Okay, now you're saying two things at the same time. Isaiah wants to see God do, but he knows that he has to ask God to do, because God has to do it. It's not even enough that he's saying, God, my heart is toward me. I know, and pressure, bring it on. No, he's saying, God, you must do this. Because you're the one who's at work in us. You must do it. Verse 15, Isaiah 63. Look down from heaven and see. From your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us. And Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord are our Father, our Redeemer from of old is your name. Oh Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood, the fire causes water to boil. To make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. 
When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down the mountains, quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for Him. 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 Let's stand up together. I want you to let the Spirit of God shine light on on your heart, on your want to, on your urgency and your eagerness, on your passion and your delight, on your inspiration and your thrill. Consider what categories are you motivated in and which ones are you not? To consider the health of the want to that is in you. What do you want? Allow God to show you, have, have we become too externally driven? Am I growing dependent on a pastor or a covenant group leader or a mature believer to prompt me to read my Bible, to pray, to attend, to serve. And as I look through the course of actions, seemingly about the only time I'm responding is when something externally prompts me. Have I turned Christianity into do not handle, do this, do that? Lord, look into our hearts. Look into the fire. Find us, God, where we are this morning. But show us whether our passion for you has grown cold or whether there is a flicker where there should be a roaring fire or where our affections toward you are weak and we are easily consumed and distracted where my time gets given away and my finances and my energies get devoted to other things at the drop of a hat because the indulging of my flesh is strong, but my passions and desires for You are weak. Oh Lord, if that is the condition of Your church, we must ask for an awakening, Lord. We must ask for a reviving. We must ask for You to come in our midst. Lord, it's not even enough that we would be aware like Isaiah. We're aware that these conditions exist in our lives. Lord, it's not enough that we're aware of it. You, O oh God, who is at work in us to will and to do of Your good pleasure, You must come and act, Lord. We need You, Lord. We don't elevate ourselves out of the hole that we have dug. We don't now elevate ourselves with our own ability to think that we can kindle our own fire. Lord, we are cold because of our doing. We will only be hot because of Yours. Spirit of God, fall afresh on our lives. Stir and awaken our soul's longings for You. That we want what You want. That it is in us. Lord, I want to know what Jeremiah experienced when Your work on the inside was like a fire in his bones. God, I want everything You've called me to do to be like that. God, I must have You to do that. Lord, I want to serve with a fire in my bones. I don't want to be complaining. I don't want to have a fleshly attitude that wants to be served and at the same time I'm doing something out of some obligation. It's what Christians are supposed to do. Supposed to take on responsibility. God, I don't want to give that way. I don't want to write a check and decide I'll write less because I really don't want to do this, but I know I'm supposed to do it. And the church needs me to do it. The building needs to get built. Lord, I want a fire in my heart. I want to be able to stand before you and say, God, I do this because I want to do it. I want it more than anything else. I want this. God, I sing to you because your forgiveness has overwhelmed me. Your kindness and your grace are larger than my vocabulary. Lord, I cannot help but sing. I cannot help but jump for joy. I cannot help it. Your greatness has conquered me, Lord. 
But yet I look at my life and I see many areas that need to be conquered more. Lord, what we want and what we ask this morning is for a Christianity, a presence of Yours that is shut up in our bones, that we cannot restrain it. We cannot restrain it. And we don't want to, Lord. That's what we're asking for. Make that to be the church that You plant in the city of New Orleans that has an affection for God that is contagious, that is overwhelming. That no fleshly indulgence could ever compare to. Exceed it, Lord, with your presence, awakening our hearts for you.